So um, welcome to uh, my session. I'm uh, Dr. Marty Ferrer. Oh, thank you. I'm Dr. Marty Ferrer Highfield. I am a professor emeritus of nursing. I'm a nurse researcher and I'm an amateur nurse historian, I call myself. Um, I sort of stumbled into this uh, story and putting this together. And what I'll be presenting today is from my book. Obviously, I can't talk about everything in the book, but I just want to introduce you to some of the, um, I call them ordinary women, but um, they were not. That would be their self-assessment. They would think of themselves as not doing anything heroic or spectacular, but they did. Boots feel better than shoes. That's what Nancy Petty, a nurse, her farmer dad taught her about the value of work, and she believed him. So. On the 1965 day after she arrived in Nigeria, people said, well, you might want to rest from the trip. And she said, oh no, I came here to work. So she jumped up the next morning and got in the car with the other nurse, Iris Hayes, on the ground and the physician, Dr. Henry Ferrer. Uh, and they traveled to, in his 504 Peugeot to Queen Elizabeth Hospital down little uh, bush roads, and Petty marveled that Henry Fair did not slow down or stop for anybody. The chickens were flying in all directions, and she said he, her words were that he drove like a Nigerian, weaving in and out so close to pedestrians, you just knew they were going to get killed. And she felt certain that at least three chickens met their maker that day. <laughs> but. Uh, Nancy continued this kind of work ethic and didn't let up until two years later, and she pretty much fit right in with the missionaries. This was how they worked. So today I want to introduce you a little bit more to her work and to five other trained nurses who were in Nigeria. When I use the term trained nurses, I mean somebody who had a formal nursing education. But we should never forget <laughs> that a host of missionary women uh, who were not trained nurses also delivered care, a lot of care, to their Nigerian neighbors. As one of those women, Jerry Nix, said, we didn't have to put out a sign, the ill and injured simply came. Together, these women established what we call today a medical mission in southeastern Nigeria. At the time, it was called medical benevolence. Working alone or in small groups, they delivered unfunded backdoor care that waxed and waned as women came and went. There was no overall plan. They just exchanged their shoes for boots and did what they could. The faith that drove them to preach in word and deed also freed them for that work. As the Apostle Paul once wrote to the Corinthians, we do not want you to be uninformed about the hardships we suffered. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, 
so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, some people might ask why study this history or why study history at all? You're probably not among them because you're sitting in this room. But I think it's important uh, to realize these things at least in the word of um, noted historian Victor Davis Hanston, that while technology has changed and continues to change, human nature does not. And as Hanson quoted William Faulkner, the past is not dead. In fact, it's not even past. So how did these nurses get to be in Nigeria in the first place? Uh, some of you may know this story, but Nigeria had its own indigenous uh, Christian restoration movement. And a leader in that movement, C.A.O. Essien, convinced the Lawrence Avenue Church in Nashville, Tennessee, to send two missionary families to his area. Howard and Mildred Horton and their children, and Jimmy and Rosalie Johnson. No one had plans for a healthcare mission, but a year after the Hortons and Johnsons arrived, an accidental or incidental nurse missionary, Glenna Peden, came to the field uh, with her husband, evangelist Jean Peden. Glenna was probably an unlikely missionary. She was born in 1920 to French Indian Cherokee coal miner Hezekiah Shiflet and wife Della. And she grew up as fourth of 10 children in mining camp number nine in West Virginia, Mammoth, West Virginia. After high school, she borrowed $100 from an uncle, went to nursing school, and repaid that loan with her first paycheck. Then, despite her avowed plans to buy a red convertible and never ever marry a preacher or a coal miner, <laughs> she wed Eugene Peden six months after they met in 1945. So eight years later, in 1955, they moved to Ekaterson, very rural Nigeria. And an energetic nurse Peden registered with the then British colonial government as a nurse and began a very robust nursing practice. Uh, her competition, the native juju doctors were very unhappy about this and they put a hex on her, but they removed it when they decided they could benefit from her services as well. Um, husband Eugene's evangelism, of course, took center stage, and her nursing work was considered very much on the side. Missionary men had raised funds for salaries, travel, evangelism, uh, Christian education. They had not raised money for nursing. So her clinic was Glenna-initiated, voluntary, unfunded, and what we might call supererogatory. Her ministry was five-pronged. She ran a daily clinic on the walkway between her house and outdoor kitchen. She taught her missionary neighbors, women, to do the same kinds of things. She conducted health classes in the churches while other women uh, taught um, Bible classes. She provided care for her own family and the other missionaries, and she inspired future nurse and medical missionaries through the stories told about her from Nashville, Tennessee pulpits. Among those who were inspired were actually uh, missionary nurse Nancy Petty 
and physician Henry Ferrer. They heard those stories. And she did all these things, indeed on the side, while she was running a very labor-intensive household uh, without utilities, schools, anything, in very rural Nigeria. According to her older daughter, Betty, Glenna wanted to do nursing. It was the right thing to do, and she did it. And common problems included uh, all kinds of uh, things, malaria, yellow fever, rabies, um, infant mortality was about 50%, and I could give you a long list of all the kinds of problems that she dealt with. Uh, local demand for her care grew despite her challenging local beliefs, uh, such as rescuing twins from murder. And Howard Horton, colleague, U.S. missionary colleague, applauded her work as of untold value. Here's what he wrote in part. Lives have been saved, eyesight preserved, pain eased, and loathsome disease halted by her patient and efficient service. Her counsel and her very presence here makes us all feel more secure concerning the welfare of our own children and wives. When Peden furloughed, family furloughed in 1955 after the recommended two years in the field, a second and then third wave of missionary women inherited the local expectation that the missionaries would deliver care. So volunteer nursing became a part of women's everyday routine and wherever evangelists went, uh, healthcare followed. So uh, that occurred, uh, the new mission compound, Upum, about 20 miles from the original Akatasun, and at Onichangwa, about 30 miles um, away. Their work remained unplanned, unfunded, and at some point, some U.S. churches began sending rolled bandages and expired medications, but that's not very clear um, when that happened or how much there was of that. So during this time, the second trained nurse arrived on the field. Uh, Tom and Mary Kelton came to that original Ecotison compound with their two preschool daughters. Uh, Mary was the same age as Glenna. She was born in 1921 in Oklahoma as Mary Rogers, earned her nursing diploma at Dallas Methodist Hospital School of Nursing in 1942. She served in World War II as a flight nurse and the uh, Army Nurse Corps. And then she earned her BA with great honors at ACC. And she, there she experienced, went on the GI Bill, and there she experienced what she called life-changing uh, baptism. She then moved to Florida Christian College and taught Greek there and was the school nurse. And she met and married student, um, FCC student Tom Kelton. Tom wanted to preach in Nigeria. And she somewhat reluctantly finally agreed to go in 1957. Unlike Peden, she didn't really have plans to nurse, so she didn't register as a nurse. Nonetheless, on arrival, she inherited five years of expectations of the local people. And uh, missionary colleague Wendell Broom wrote that during her first days, Kelton was swamped with patients anxious to be treated by the new nurse. Um, unfortunately for Mary, soon all the missionaries at Takatison did their planned furloughs and she was left alone to manage uh, health care that had been previously managed by four women. 
Um, so between that and a combination of personal illness and her husband's increasing mental health issues, um, it soon became too much for her. And she just got sick again with malaria and abruptly left in 1958 with her daughters and came back to the US. Um, despite the difficulties, her daughters tell me that she was as proud of her work in Nigeria as of her uh, war service. And she later described her African patients as humble and grateful with poise and confidence. I think we should be less surprised that some uh, women like Mary uh, and her family had trouble on the mission field than that more didn't. Um, Wendell Broom summarized his family's preparation for Nigeria as one notch above zero. And as Patty Bryant, another missionary said, we heard from the other missionaries that the Nigerians were asking for missionaries to train their preachers. And so we came sight unseen, come what may. A key turning point in this whole situation occurred during Mary Kelton's second year when evangelist Reese Bryant and family arrived in the field. And his best efforts on his very first morning walking down to the Bible training college where he was going to teach, he had, had no interest in medical missions at all. But he was met by an injured man on a bicycle who asked for his help and despite all his best efforts to get care for the man, the man died that same day. Um, and suddenly the Bryants felt confronted with a need to meet the physical needs of people, uh, not just the spiritual ones that they had come to Nigeria uh, for. So they decided they needed not just to ameliorate healthcare access, but to revolutionize it. And it wasn't going to be enough to bring people to distant health professionals. They needed to bring the health professionals to their area. So they started writing letters to every nurse and physician they knew in the Church of Christ with a Macedonian call, come over to Nigeria and help us. Uh, one of the people they contacted, some of the people, were Dr. Henry Fair and Grace Fair in 1960 about coming. Um, and in the meantime, while they were uh, recruiting him, the missionaries in the field worked on both where he might practice and on a biblical reason why he might practice medicine as a missionary, right? Because they're gonna ask for church funding to deliver medical care. Uh, the where of practice would be a clinic in some abandoned British buildings nearby. The why, I would summarize their wonderful theological statement with just these three points. We're here in Nigeria to save souls, but those souls live in bodies. And in Galatians 6.10, Paul says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us work that which is good to all men. Two, if we can prolong lives, people have more opportunity to hear the gospel. And three, if Christians will not help, who will? Healthcare demonstrates <coughs> our faith in action. Um, their eager commitment to profess the, uh, to replace backdoor care with professional care led them to um, welcome Letty Sermonukian, an Armenian Christian nurse who at the time was practicing in Libya. And she simply informed them in 1961 that she was coming. So uh, she came 
But ordinarily, of course, missionaries would be vetted by church elders and supported a salary and all that. She completely bypassed that system. She showed up and was reliant then on Reese Bryant to provide funding, work assignment, oversight, etc. Uh, she began daily clinic work, but unfortunately, her nursing credentials could not be verified, and so of course Nigeria would not approve her to practice nursing. And I suspect largely because of cultural differences, uh, the, uh, but other reasons too, um, their conflict grew between Lady Sermonukian and the other missionaries. She sued them, and uh, that went over s several months. The suit was settled in the missionaries' uh, favor because they had uh, fired her and she sued for breach of contract. Um, now, the Bryants say, Reese Bryant says uh, welcoming her was the worst mistake he ever made in Nigeria. And to this day, they're still amazed that the whole kerfuffle that happened with her coming didn't put them off medical missions forever, but fortunately it did not. Um, Reese Bryant, uh, in sort of a self-reflective critical analysis of his faults in all this uh, issue, was uh, his gratitude that God continued to use, quote, less than perfect human beings to accomplish his will, for <laughs> there are no other kind. So um, their planned experiment of in-the-field oversight of a missionary nurse failed miserably. Um, three years later, in 1964, Grace and Henry Ferrer arrived on the Sonichangua compound. Uh, Nurse Fair was far more interested in homemaking and raising her then, now six, five children. And although two college presidents and her husband, Henry Fair, had used her RN credential to market the idea of a hospital, she didn't have any intention, really, of providing patient care. In her spiritual autobiography, she commented that God gave me good parents. She was born in 1924 as third of fourth children at her parents' Indiana home, raised in the Methodist Church. As a teen leader, she was baptized there and committed to be a missionary. And then when she went to uh, nursing school in Cincinnati, Bethesda Nursing School, a roommate invited her to visit the Church of Christ with her. And there, she said she was baptized not just to be a Methodist, but to be a Christian. Um, she soon moved to Searcy, Arkansas, where she worked as actually a school nurse at Harding, and she met student Henry Ferrer, and they married in 1950. And her thrift and nursing jobs allowed him to graduate from medical school debt-free. Uh, they remained committed to missions. In 1964, they arrived with plans to establish a hospital but uh, Dr. Ferris spent almost the entire first year struggling to get government permission mm -hmm. and money to begin the clinic. During that time, Grace served pretty reluctantly as a backdoor nurse. Um, she was also sort of a school nurse for the Bible Training College preacher students. And uh, she did enjoy teaching women's health classes in the churches, however. In 1965, two more nurses moved to Nigeria to help start what became the Nigerian Christian Hospital. Iris Hayes and Nancy Petty 
and they were about as different in every respect as you could imagine. As Patty said, she had the things I didn't, and um, I had the things she didn't, and God matched us very well. So short, stocky Patty was an outspoken, take charge kind of person, and uh, Iris Hayes on your uh, right there was uh, tall, slim, shy, and reserved. Patty grew up on a farm, Hayes in the city. Patty had more clinical experience, Hayes more university education. But what these two 24-year-old single women had in common was a Church of Christ history and a strong commitment to nursing and to missionary nursing. Uh, as Hayes put it, we uh, came to Nigeria, we weren't going to Nigeria just to hand out band-aids. We were there for a purpose and that purpose was Jesus. Now when Hayes and, and Patty arrived in Nigeria, there was no clinic, no hospital, no approval for either one, no land, um, uh, no permission from either the traditional or the federal government to start either. So Hayes did some secretarial work and they taught Bible classes and they began traveling to local hospitals to learn about tropical medicine. Um, but fortunately, within weeks of arrival, missionaries did receive some approval to use those, re renovate those British buildings and so it wasn't long before they got started. When they were visiting these hospitals, it was at Queen Elizabeth Hospital where they were com completely confronted with their inadequacy to do what they had come to do, intending to do. There, the top-notch British matron, Anne Bent, told them flatly in Petty's words, there was no way we could help to build a hospital. There was no way we could train nurses. We were not qualified whatsoever. You cannot do it, she said. You may as well go home. So Hayes and Petty were stunned by this, um, and they were very quiet on the long ride back to their compound over those 36 miles. So. In, on Nigerian roads, think when you hear 36 miles, think 72 miles on the roads at that time. Okay, you know, she's right, said Hayes, but there's nobody else here to do it. It's us. So we can do what we can do, and the Lord will have to do the rest. And that is what they did. They shaped the healthcare mission in many ways, including creating goodwill that helped get the hospital land. They established the first hospital workforce. They provided health education and supported evangelism. And importantly, they created a culture of Christian caring from the mission that challenged the surrounding culture of power. And I wanna spend the rest of my time looking at those issues. One of the first things they did was serve as goodwill ambassadors. There was not land. They needed land, contiguous land that belonged to 19 different villages. So Dr. Ferris said, why don't you go out and teach women's classes in the village? It'll be good for the health education and it'll help establish relationships. So I called it a goodwill ambassadorship. Nancy Petty remembered, so there was Iris, there was me, the short, wide one, and Iris, the tall, thin one. We'd drive our little car up and we'd get out, and usually the chief of the village would be there to greet us. What was going on in their heads is we're going to start a hospital and we're going to hire employees and we're going to train employees, 
And uh, so each side sort of had their own agenda. And the nurses' gift of health education was reciprocated with gifts of food, goats, uh, bananas, uh, ground nuts, uh, peanuts, and uh, letters requesting jobs for the women's children. Uh, it wasn't very long before the missionaries realized they could not afford enough professional staff, and so indeed they did uh, hire and teach a local workforce from people who had roughly um, maybe uh, high school, maybe not quite even that level of education. And they prepared what missionaries have called some of the best uh, nurses and workers <laughs> that we ever had. I think that may be because they matched the missionary expectations of what was needed so well. They were trained by the missionaries for what the missionaries needed. Um, it wasn't easy though. They screened 435 applicants for less than 20 jobs. Um, and um, as you can imagine, the families of those people who were not selected were not very pleased with the whole thing. No good deed goes unpunished, right? So the missionaries got worried about hostility from people because their particular family member wasn't hired. So Henry Fair proposed that we'll just do a first aid class for all comers, no English requirements, no testing requirements. We'll just do a class and give a certificate. And he assigned it to, he, he taught some and assigned it to Grace Fair and Nancy Petty, who were both very displeased about that assignment. Um, as Petty told it, I said, Dr. Fair, of all the things you've asked us to do, this is the craziest. Well, the students got certificates when they finished. Do you know how many of them, after the Biafran War, 1967 to 70, still had their certificate? They came to me and said, this saved my life, because when I presented this, I became a medic. Over 50 people came to tell me, you saved my life. See, Patty concluded, when God is working, you may not appreciate it. Um, Iris Hayes took on the role of education director, which she wrote in her diary, what a title and planned and executed a 12-month training program that would be roughly equivalent to our LVN education here, licensed vocational nurse training in the U.S. And while she knew her classes were not flawless, she was amazed at the outcomes. A lot of these, I mean, these women had grown up on dirt floors with little sanitation, limited education. I'm sure they never imagined they would be nurses. Um, yet within 12 months, she trusted them to take care of her and their, um, uh, her work in that regard survived tests of time and war into the 21st century. So as Hayes modestly supposed decades later, that does make you feel like maybe the work wasn't all in vain. Okay, while Hayes was doing this, Petty assumed the role of matron, which is being in charge of all hospital operations, basically. Um, so in her role, Petty oversaw laundry, kitchen, pharmacy, laboratory. She tracked linen, disciplined staff with what they called her BDI look, um, assisted in surgery, hired nurses, transported bodies to the morgue. As Nancy said, I just did what I was supposed to do every, way to, every day to make that hospital go. I could do the payroll, 
I set up the operating schedule, I trained the OR assistants, I sterilized our equipment, I made rounds, I checked the toilets, I parceled out the food they were going to cook, I ordered the drugs, I did everything. Uh, they were also direct and uh, indirect or proxy evangelists. Directly, they taught um, nursing staff, women, and children's Bible, but they also saved evangelist lives. In 1966, evangelist David Underwood had a heart attack on the field, um, and he later wrote, if I recover fully from my heart attack, which he did, uh, by the way, every congregation God establishes through me, every church I edify, and each person I baptize will be indebted to Henry Fair and to our nurses, Miss Iris Hayes and Miss Nancy Petty. And David went on to serve as a missionary at, um, in Liberia, and I think he taught for years at Faulkner University. And uh, so he, just that contribution, here the, here the evangelist had sort of accidentally brought nursing to Nigeria, and now nursing saved evangelism intentionally. They also saved medical care. Um, right after the clinic opened, Henry Fair got hepatitis, and as Nancy said, he turned yellow as a pumpkin, and we didn't know if he was going to live. But he was determined to keep working. He was so happy to have his clinic open. Um, so before he could get up to the clinic, the nurses went up there, sent all the patients home, and said, the doctor is sick. We don't know if he's going to live. And uh, then she went to Henry Ferris house and he was getting ready to go up there and she said, there aren't any patients for you to see and you're not going up there. And he didn't. And so he sort of had an enforced uh, bed rest. You know, if they, if they lost Henry Ferrer, which could have happened, you know, what would happen to the mission? We don't know what would happen to the mission. Nigeria had some rules about nurses needing to work under a physician and so what would have happened at that point, no one knows. Um, importantly, they were cultural revolutionaries, and um, I wish I had more time to talk about this. But one thing they were very fond of saying was, who is the most important person in the hospital? They said this over and over and over again to their staff, to each other. The most important person in the hospital is not Henry Fair or the nurses or the Ministry of Health or whoever it is. It's the patient. The patient is the most important person. So while they expected their Christian faith to work sort of a revolution in local beliefs, they were probably surprised that some of their other um, ideas were so revolutionary. Patient advocacy for the vulnerable, uh, triaging, uh, health teaching, you know, knowledge is power. You don't give away uh, your health knowledge. So all those things were important. They challenged social status. Treating the sickest first was a novel idea, and others on the first come. You obviously treated the most important, the most powerful person first. That's what they were used to. Um, so Nancy was determined, she said, that these big men weren't going to push these little women with babies aside. Uh, one day a big, tall, uh, muscular soldier arrived at the clinic and demanded to see the doctor. Um, so and so he said, I was an officer in the Nigerian army in the Congo and I want to see the doctor now. 
he said. I am not afraid to fight. Um, drawing herself up to her full five foot three height, Petty countered, well, I am Nancy Petty from Bear Creek, Tennessee, and you are going to wait in line like everybody else, and I'm not afraid to fight either. <laughs> uh, the story is that the soldier retreated and all the other patients were greatly amused. <laughs> um, the, their idea of law and uh, order was also very different. Now, um, all the bicycles looked the same to the missionaries. Uh, but they knew their own. And one day there was this, outside the women's and children's clinic, there was this big uproar. And she looked out to see patients stoning a suspected bicycle thief to death right on the spot. She said, I could just see the headline, husband of Nigerian patient, you know, stoned to death at Nigerian Christian hospital. And she said, I went running. She ran into the middle of that mob with a couple of men staffers and they pulled that guy into the clinic and she said, I'm going to close this clinic if you don't back off. Well, they were very unhappy. So she went on with her work, and a few minutes later, they jerked that man out again, and they were at it again. And she uh, repeated that process, and uh, she had sent somebody for the police, and the police came and rescued the man. I don't know what happened to him after all that, but um, she, um, those, those people were not the only ones unhappy. When she shared that story with her Christian cook steward, when she got home that day, he said, you did a bad thing, sister. You should not have saved that man. The only good thief is a dead thief, and you shouldn't have stopped him. So this was very, you know, this is how they dealt with things. Um, they also, of course, challenged uh, spiritual power. Uh, like. Nurse Peden in the 50s, they took on, uh, they had the competition of the native doctors. And even though people came to their clinic, there is little doubt that they did not abandon, well, we know of episodes, they did not abandon the care of the native doctor. They believed he maintained constant communication with the spirit world that governed all their activities, and he was someone to be feared. And it was his business to know what's to be done in every case and people were afraid of him. So native doctors practiced quite differently. They never shared their secret knowledge, and yet the mission team taught patients. Uh, the mission team referred patients when they needed to to expert, but native doctors could treat everyone, anyone, for anything. Um, missionaries healed used in Western science. Native doctors um, searched for who had bewitched the patient. And it was more important to identify the culprit who had bewitched the patient than it was even to cure the patient. Um, so in their minds, the pain and suffering and the cost of the treatment showed how valuable it was. So the pain and cost and suffering associated often with native doctor treatments suggested that those treatments were very valuable indeed. So while the mission team was trying to minimize those things, uh, the native doctors were um, maximizing them. Um, I wish I had a lot of time to talk about this, but I'll just say a quick word in close because I want to leave some time for discussion and questions. Um, I do want to mention this. Nancy Petty uh, took on foster parenting of a little girl whose mom died during her birth. 
uh, they had uh, and just to show you how integrated um, this is a picture of the missionary children in 1966 and I point out that Virginia is right there among them named her Virginia so this this was another thing they did um, and sadly, I mean, she debated whether to bring this baby back with her to the United States, but she felt like it would be better for Virginia to stay and eventually go back to her dad. Sadly, the Biafran War came along, and like many hundreds of thousands other little children, little Virginia died as well. I'd like to include, uh, let the nurses conclude their own with their own summary. And this is what uh, Petty said. This is a picture, you can see the hospital, uh, what we call the hospital motto behind Iris here. We dress the wound, God heals it. Nancy Petty said, I don't think it could be said any better than the sign that was all over the place. We dress the wound and God heals it. Remember, you don't have control over very much, not very much and you'll be more peaceful you'll be released from thinking if I don't do this and this and this God can't work well yeah he warns you but he will work it out so um, thank you I'd love to hear your questions comments is the work still going on today? It is. Um, it's under an African staff and African board. Um, most are probably Ebo, which is the local uh, group, but not, not all of them. So um, Americans now visit and support them, which is which is a better way to do it. When the when the war came, this is kind of sad. Henry Fair battled for these three years to get this hospital built. They finally got the thing built, got it open, and the war came, and just like that, I, I mean, it was um, within weeks after the whole thing opened, he had to walk off and leave the, leave it. So, but it was left in capable uh, Nigerian hands, and during the war, um, they ran it, some, and the Red Cross, and after the war, it was the buildings were standing, but everything was gone out of them. <laughs> Bullet riddle had to be re. Yeah, but that some of that nursing workforce still there. They rehired whoever wanted to come back. So yeah, these were some remarkable uh, women in this nursing workforce and a laboratory and pharmacy. Uh, they hired some men for that. Their first pharmacist was 16 years old. <laughs> I said, it's very good. Are they are they self-supported, or does the church still continue giving financial? Some of both. Medicine, or is it mostly from the government or local churches, or what? This is interesting because I think the church, the the mission hospitals, these missionaries' original idea was they would get some Nigerian government support to help run it. It's good they didn't do that because almost every other hospital after the war was taken over by the government, and I think those were ones. And because Nigerian Christian Hospital, NCH, was very small, it sort of escaped that. 
It's under a the International Healthcare Foundation, which is a U.S. board, which is not so much an oversight board as just supportive in fundraising. African Christian Hospitals, it used to be called, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a dual name. Um, and that group oversees like seven different hospitals, clinics in Africa, and does fundraising. But they do uh, charge for patient services, but so uh, finances are always a challenge. Um, many of, I'll just say, local people who've worked at the hospital if you've ever worked in Africa uh, with people with money, a lot of times there's a very different idea about how money should be managed than the way we think. Some things that we might think of as embezzlement are not, that's not what it is. And um, so money flow is always, but that's a good question, yeah. It's uh, one interesting thing about the financing, by the way, um, I think it's called Southside, it was in the Bay Area, F.F. Carson, it was a large, uh, wealthy black congregation, and they uh, supported this, uh, Carson came over, and he supported this church with thousands of dollars, and um, actually helped after the war and helped set up, so yeah, it's very when interesting. When the Civil War end? What's that? The Civil War, when did it end? 1970. 1970 January 1970. It was about a two-and-a-half-year war. Uh, part of the country seceded, the part that had the oil, most of the oil. Yeah, they still have a lot of oil there. Yeah. So uh, they're still, ha haven't worked through all that conflict no, yet. No, they haven't. Um, I know Samaritan's Purse supports medical missionaries. Does the Church of Christ do this worldwide at any, you know about that? Uh, yes, but it's done more on that congregational model okay. or by boards uh, okay. of defined, like we don't, the International Healthcare Foundation, for example, doesn't uh, pay missionary salaries. Right. Or raise, we raise funds for the facility, so um, we usually have the missionaries coming from the churches, you know, vetted through the churches yeah but there are uh, mission efforts all over the place now but this was this was a little bit new still for the uh, in uh, now Tanzania they opened a facility about a year before the Nigerian one did but it just opened as a little clinic but there's now a Chamala if some of you know the Chamala hospital it's there, so it was, it was sort of a new thing, and there were a lot of theological questions, and still are, as some of you may know, in the Churches of Christ, we have the non-institutional uh, Churches of Christ who don't believe that church treasury money should be spent to support works like this. They're not opposed to delivering, helping people, they just have a con theological concern about how, about the funding pathway. And that, that, that conflict actually existed on the field. This is another thing. As missionaries, we import our U.S. Uh, controversies to the mission field. And this uh, conflict of whether you could support a medical mission from a church treasury, actually, uh, the missionaries had differences about that. And the way they solved it was the non-institutional group just moved about 600 miles away the capital and actually started a new mission point. So that was the upside of that. 
together. And this, I'm gonna encourage you, if you know uh, nurses or physicians or somebody who's been in this kind of work, go take a tape recorder and ask if you can, ask them about their story. As you know, we don't have an archives in the Church of Christ, we don't have a mission society, so we, it's easy to lose these stories. And I had to do a lot of interviewing. <laughs> yep. This was your, your parents, you were there, right? I was there, yeah, I'm actually in one of these, um, there's a, where am I, somewhere in here, the fairer thing. Um, Yes, and, and people say, oh, you knew all about this. No, I didn't. I, I was a little kid. I was riding my bike, you know, playing soccer. So, you know, I was being a little kid. So I discovered a lot of this information after I... I thought the only nurses were uh, Petty and Hayes. I didn't even know about the others. Nor do most people in the Church of Christ. They might have heard of Petty and Hayes, I think, because they were part of the team that established the Nigerian Christian Hospital. Um, Is this what inspired you to become a nurse? Uh, no, probably just my family. You know, my mother was a nurse and my dad was a physician and so on. I wanted to help people and I thought that, as a little girl, so I thought that would be a good way to help people. But we were very integrated into the care. I mean, this is one thing, um, you know, my mother, and my dad too. They made us part of the mission project. Right. So that was a great gift. Great. Do you ever go back? Um, they went back? back for 45 years, back and forth. I've been back. Last time I was there was 2018. Any same people around or? Yes. That, yes. That's uh, none of that nurse. Well. I met up with Rose Mockway, who's 80-something years old now, who's one of those original nurses, um, and I, I talked to her about her story when I was there in 2018. Uh, she's the only one still living. All these uh, American nurses now have um, been promoted to heaven, as my dad would say. And my parents are also, also both dead. So. Well, what about the people, the community? I'm just, yeah. Are there still connections there? Yes. Yes. I got to see some. I cried, in fact. I just broke out in tears. I shocked myself. I didn't. I said, oh, well, Nigeria's in a state of, you know, not a very, it's not a very safe place to no, go. It's not. So when I went into the hospital, I only told a key hospital person. And then when I got there, I sent to the village for a couple of people I would like to especially see. I uh, thought that was the safest, and then I was only there a couple of hours, and then I got out. Um, but yeah, yeah, a couple of people came to see me that I knew when I was a little kid, and I just, I cried. <laughs> it was very, it was a wonderful reunion. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's a pretty amazing story. There's a lot more to the story. Um, there's more in the book, but there's a lot more beyond that that well, should, should to be told. Yeah. I'm glad you got to experience that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I don't want to hold people up. No, uh, be I'll sure and sign the um, oh, it's right here. Uh, list. And I'm sorry for those listening to the recording that I forgot to repeat all the questions, but hopefully you got them from the answers. <laughs>